Welcome to the Bethesda Christian Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit yourbcc.org or download our mobile app from the App Store. Pray with me, if you will. Lord, enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Amen. We're going to keep that in front of us. We want to be able to speak the word of God with great boldness. Opportunities abound. They come our way and take note of them. Take note of them, and then you can just rely on the Lord. He'll bring the words they need to say. An opportunity came to me very recently, and I'll just briefly share it with you. I was called by one of the senators here for the state of Michigan. His office called and asked, would I like to give the invocation at the opening of the Senate session? So I said, sure, yeah, I would do that. But I asked one question. I said, I'd like to be able to pray in the name of Jesus. Because if I'm coming, I want to be able to honor my God and lift up his name. So the answer was an unequivocal yes. You come, you pray your faith. So that was really nice. And on Thursday, so this just this past Thursday, drove up with uh, Pastor Julie, our good friends, uh, Scott and Denise Wesselman went with us, and we were able to be at the state capitol. And let me tell you something. I just want to encourage you about the state government. I couldn't tell you who was Democrat or Republican. I'll just say they received me so, so well. Uh, many were encouraged after a, an opening prayer, an invocation that brought down Jesus Christ in the state uh, senate. So many of them said, hey, thank you for being here. And so I was blessed because I, I just thought there are so many Christians here and I didn't know it. And I can't tell if they're red or blue, but I know that they're white because it seemed to me they were saints and they were loving it. So opportunities abound for us to just speak out the word and take advantage of them. Keep praying that prayer. Lord, enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. I have another example to share with you. Again, this past Thursday, I stopped at the funeral home for Don Drabeck. He laid his mother to rest on Friday. So I stopped in to see the family and Don, and he introduced me around to some people. And I met a lady who was 92 years old, and her name was Stella. And let me just say she was a joy. This lady had a smile ear to ear. So I just asked a simple question. I have never met her. And I said, Stella, you're 92 years old. And you are smiling ear to ear. What's your secret? And this lady gave me a one-word answer. Five letters. And she looked at me with the biggest smile and she said, Jesus. <laughs> that's, that's fantastic. Hey, you want the secret of getting to be 92 and a smile on your face? Jesus, right? So what I saw there was she took an opportunity with me, a stranger she'd never met, and we can do that. Lord, enable your servants to speak your word 
with great boldness and even speak your name, Jesus. Let's continue to do that. Dear church, I've been speaking to you from my heart this past couple of months with what I've called just an open letter to the church. I want to bear my heart, speak to you plainly as best that I possibly can, and ask the question. I began at the first of the year, the first Sunday of the year, what are we doing here? And I loved how Noah asked a very similar question earlier this morning. What is your motivation for being here? Why are you here? What is this place all about? Is it meaningful to you? Or are you getting dragged along to take up a seat? Is it tradition that you just sit here for an hour or so on a Sunday? And then what's the rest of the week mean? And I trust that I've been coming through, that what happens here, what happens in this community, it's important to the rest of the week, to the rest of your life. What goes on outside these walls is really far, far more important than what we're doing here this morning. We're worshiping God, we're getting encouraged, but we need to take that outside these walls for the many hours of the week that are left from this one hour where I really hope that you're getting encouraged to be out in the world. I trust that you heard me when I talked about we're under a sovereign king. Sovereign king, his name is Jesus, and he is the king of the universe. I called him the unking. He's the unking because he's unlimited. He's unbounded, he is unrestricted, unrestrained. He's unimpeded, Jesus is unobstructed, he's unhindered, what gets in his way? Jesus is unencumbered, and he is undeniably the king of the universe. And we sit right now as part of his kingdom today. We are in his kingdom. And I let that sink in again. I've said it, let's take it seriously. The local church where we're at this morning is an expression of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. It's like an embassy that's in a foreign land. We're in the world. We're not of the world, but we can come here to the embassy of the kingdom and we can get empowered to be out in the world to speak the word with great boldness when those opportunities come our way. And there's great blessings to being part of this place called the local church. Talked about many of those blessings and there's responsibilities to being a citizen, responsibilities to being a citizen in the kingdom of God. We shouldn't take it lightly. We shouldn't take it for granted. We shouldn't uh, look at our place in the local church as something that we're just going to do for about an hour a week, as if it doesn't mean anything. What we live for just this fraction of the week, we're to multiply that exponentially outside these walls, so with the blessings and the responsibilities that you've already heard through these weeks, I'm gonna give you one more, and it's the responsibility of accountability. I wanna talk about accountability this morning. And what does it mean to be accountable? To be accountable. That, that word means that you have some 
thought, you have some explanation, some justification for your actions. If you're accountable for what you've done, you could say, here's why I did it. I can explain it, I can justify it. And why? Why do we need to be accountable? Because we are responsible. You're responsible for what you do. We're responsible for our actions. That's another sense of this word, accountable. That you are responsible. I am responsible to explain my actions. And being accountable is something we are all going to face. I'm gonna face it. Every single individual is going to face being accountable to God. And there is ample scriptural evidence to support this. It's not just one line in the Bible. In the Old Testament, it speaks of it. In the New Testament, it speaks of it. And I want to consider a passage this morning from the New Testament book of Hebrews. Just a couple of short verses from Hebrews chapter 4. And I heard this on Friday, so I felt, oh, this is, this is a great confirmation of what's to be here this morning. Hebrews 4, 12 and 13, for the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him whom we must give account. And there's that word, account. We're gonna give an account. Every single one of us, bar none, will give an account to God. That's confirmed, as I said, in other areas of Scripture and the New Testament. You can read the 14th chapter of the book of Romans, and you'll read about giving an account. You can read Paul's letter to the Corinthians, his second letter, chapter 5. We will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Now think about that for a moment, that you and I are going to give account. And the word that we read here is, everything is uncovered. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of God. Now that ought to be a sobering line of scripture to every single one of us. Everything, everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of God. And you will give an account. You will explain your actions. And be responsible. Now, that accounting Thank you, Jesus. That accounting is going to be different for those of us who are in Christ. And that's a fabulous, fabulous thing. As you read on in the book of Hebrews, verse 13 told us nothing is hidden from God, but verse 14 goes on to say Jesus is the high priest. And then that writer of Hebrews unfolds that idea of the high priest and goes on for a couple of chapters to talk about the high priest. And what does the high priest do for us? Well, the high priest has made sacrifice for sins. And Jesus was the perfect sacrifice for, for sins. So despite our having to give an account because of Jesus Christ, 
our high priest, we're not going to be held guilty for our sins. He's taking care of that. Thank you, Jesus. That is an amazing grace. It's an amazing grace that we've been forgiven by our high priest, Jesus Christ, of all of our sins. But the sacrifice of Jesus, it doesn't scripturally erase the fact that we have some accountability. And we have some accountability while we're walking this earth. And I want to talk about how we can stay accountable. How can we stay accountable? First, I, I just stop when I read that, that verse in Hebrews of verse 13. Everything's uncovered. Everything. Man, think about that for a second. And then live every single minute believing Everything is uncovered before the eyes of God. Now, if you lived that way, if every single one of us lived every minute of our life with that in mind, that everything that we do is uncovered and it's seen by God, I think the world would be a different place. You know, I've heard recently this. In the book of Romans, it says we sin. Now, that statement that I heard had an implication hanging right on to it. And the implication of that statement, hey, in the book of Romans, it says we sin. The implication was, well, I can sin. That's what it was. And some believe that. Some believe that we can continue in sin. We can continue in intentional, rebellious behavior against uh, our creator. Well, because Jesus paid the price. But let me tell you something this morning. No, you can't. No, you cannot. You cannot live in intentional, rebellious sin against your creator. Sin is nothing to mess around with. God, his eyes are open. He sees everything. It's all laid bare before him. And when we mess with sin, and even so much more intentional sin, are we thinking God's going to overlook it? That he's somehow going to miss it? See, the book of Romans, it might say that we sin. And yeah, the letter to the Roman church does actually say that. And gee, the writer of the letter, the Apostle Paul, he said, I struggle with it. We can read the man's personal struggle with sin. He wrote, what I want to do, which would be not sin, what I want to do I do not do, but I do what I hate to do. Well, in other words, I fall short. And he wraps up the the whole personal testimony with this. What a wretched man I am. Now, the apostle struggled with sin, and he was very open about it, very transparent, but he didn't say, hey, you got a license to sin now because God's grace Because of the grace of Jesus Christ and the sacrifice he made, you can go off and sin and do whatever you want. No, that's not what he wrote. As a matter of fact, he wrote this, where sin increased, grace increased all the more to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ. And we 
We can't mock that. We can't mock what Jesus Christ did when he died for us on the cross. And that can't be made light of by some wrong-headed notion that we can continue in sin. Let me just give you what Paul wrote in, at the open of chapter 6 in this letter to Romans about this idea of, well, you think you can go on and sin because God's grace is so wonderful and it's awesome and Jesus died for you? He wrote this, Romans 6, 1 and 2. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. By no means. In the King James Version of the Bible, it says, God forbid, God forbid that we go on sinning. Why? All will give an account. Now, again, I know Christ died for my sins. Doesn't mean I can just feel free to do whatever I like all the time. No, we're accountable. I want to ask you a question this morning. Do you believe God is real? Noah stood up here and said, what motivates you to be here this morning? Do you believe God is real? Do you believe he's alive? You know, when it comes to things like our prayer time and we say, man, we got a need Oh, I believe God is real. Don't you believe God is real when you got that pain, when you've got that struggle, when you've got that trial in your life, when you've got a big decision to make, when you have a, a financial decision before you, a job change. Maybe it's just going to a different uh, class at school. It's, it's the new year. You're going from eighth, eighth grade to ninth grade. It's high school. Lord, oh, hear my prayer. I want a good teacher in a great homeroom. Whatever it is, we believe God is real and that he hears our prayer and that he sees us in our pain and he sees us in our trial. And we get down on our knees in our prayer closet and we say, Lord, hear our prayer. Or we come here to church and we raise up our hands and we praise the Lord and we say, God, I know, you're, I know you see me and you see my need and, and you're real. We believe it, right? We believe it, don't we? All right. So is God any less real? Is God any less uh, unseeing? Is God somehow blind? When we're talking over coffee and we're slandering someone's name and we're gossiping about that person, where do the eyes of God go when we're out on that illicit website? When, when we're on this, this, this device here and we're looking at junk we shouldn't be looking at, is God real? Is he seeing that? Is he seeing that as, as the same as he sees us in our pain when we're on our knees and saying, Lord, help me? Does God see us when we cut the corner at work? You know, when we bully a student at school or when we're, we're dropping some nasty comment on social media, is, God's, is his eyes blind? Or does he see us just as clearly as he sees us in our need? If we believe that he sees us when we have a need, shouldn't we believe that he sees everything? Of course. And of course he does. And one day, we're going to give an account. Until that time, let's remain accountable, church, and live every moment, live every single moment believing. God's not blind. No, Everything is uncovered before the eyes of God. Now, a second way to stay accountable, stay in God's word. For the word of God is alive and active, 
sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. Now, consider that. Meditate on that. The word of God is not inanimate. It's not dead. The word is alive. The word is active. And it's likened here by this writer to a double-edged sword which cuts both ways. The word of God can pierce a heart with conviction. Recall Peter's first message on that day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, we talked about it. Peter didn't just speak a bunch of words. He spoke God's word. He used the word of God. Peter drew his message from the prophet Joel. He said, hey, listen, what you're looking at here is it's a fulfillment of prophecy. And then he went to Psalm number 16. And he said, hey, this is a, from, from King David. Again, he was prophesying. And further on, Psalm 110. And he again quotes from Scripture. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand. Again, King David prophesying. Peter wasn't just relying on himself, but the word of God, which is powerful and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, and it's alive. And the word of God was in him. Now, Peter may have been described by those Pharisees as an unschooled, ordinary fisherman. But even though he was unschooled and ordinary, he had the word alive in him. And when that word of God came out with boldness, and he spoke the word with great boldness, what happened? That double-edged sword of the word it cut to the heart. We read in Acts chapter 2, the people were pierced in their hearts. What pierced their hearts? Well, it wasn't Peter. It wasn't, it wasn't the man. It was the word of God, alive and active. And the people were cut to the heart. They said, what do we do? What do we do? Peter said, repent, be baptized. The two edged sword of the word of God is alive and active today. It's alive today and it cuts on both sides. It can speak to the heart in both the temporal, the natural and the eternal. It has both temporal and eternal consequences. The double edged sword of the word of God, the word speaks to the promises in this life as we walk the earth, and the word also speaks to the promises in eternity. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart in the here and the now, and it can impact dividing soul and spirit. Allow the word of God to penetrate. Allow the word of God to penetrate your heart and the eternal destiny of your soul is affected. Man, if you're not in the word of God, you're not being fed. It's food for the living. So often, when I'm in the Word of God, something lights up to me that I've read so many times because there's that word penetrating, and it's, it's alive, and it's working on me. What better way to be accountable to both man and God than by allowing his Word to pierce our hearts 
and to judge our thoughts and, and our attitudes and let it even penetrate our soul. But it's going to have little effect. It's going to have no avail if we're not involved with it, if we're not letting the word be, uh, be in our life, if the entrance of the word isn't there, there's no power. So live every single moment. Live every single moment as if God's eyes see all and stay in his word. Stay in his word. And third, I'll give you a, a third way. Don't be an island. Don't be an island. Third way to stay accountable. Church, we need one another. Now, I brought this up early on. Church, we need one another. One of the great blessings I talked about was our need for one another. That in that first church in Jerusalem, the followers of Jesus were devoted to one another. And they were devoted to prayer. And I talked about that blessing of prayer and the blessing of, of community where when you're in the community and it's a part of your life and you've integrated the community of the kingdom of God in your life, you'll find help and support. And in that first church, we found that example where they were devoted to one another. And I said to you that that devotion is not marked by somebody who is tangentially associated with the kingdom of God, somebody who makes it a minor point of their life. You know, someone who shows up here and there, and it's not important to their life, and gave you several examples of that. That's somebody who is treating this like a club, treating the local church like a, some kind of social club where they have some tepid association with it, but it's not really meaningful in their life. And that's not devotion. No, one who's devoted, one who has the mark of an all-in citizen of the kingdom of God is one who's discovered the great blessings of being part of the community and coming to the embassy and making that a part of their life, this local church. These are the citizens that are devoted to one another. So there are no islands. There are no loner Christians now, sometimes we might find ourselves alone for a variety of reasons. We may be alone for some situation in life. The Apostle Paul found himself alone, and he leaned on Jesus. He leaned on Jesus, but that doesn't mean he really liked being alone. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul's last letter before he was going to go off and be beheaded, he wrote to Timothy, here he was, and uh, he, he had been arrested, he had been under house arrest, and he was writing about this time, and he told Timothy, at my first defense, no one came to my support, but everyone deserted me. Now how much more alone can you get than being deserted after you've been accused of a crime, and your crime is preaching the word of God, and he's facing his execution and he says, everyone deserted me. But what a heart the guy had. May it not be held against them. Then he went on to write, but the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength. See, Paul found himself alone, not by choice. And he leaned on Jesus. He leaned on the everlasting arms of Jesus Christ. But what was his desire? 
His desire that those in the natural would be there with him too. He also wrote in that same chapter, Timothy, do your best to come quickly. And he wrote, though I was deserted, Luke's here with me now. And get Mark. Get Mark and bring him. And the man wanted some friends around. He had Jesus, yes, but he wasn't going to be a loner. He knew the Lord could stand by his side and give him strength, but he desired the fellowship and the companionship of other Christians. He felt deserted, yes. Have you ever felt deserted? You can get discouraged. You get discouraged and feel deserted and you're all alone. And what happens when you're all alone? You can be vulnerable to temptation. You don't have that person there next to you, somebody to help keep you accountable, to say, hey, what are you doing? Where are you going? Why are you doing that? And that's why I've said to you, Jesus sent out his disciples two by two. He didn't send them out as loners. He sent out the 72 by two. And I recently read in the book of Leviticus, if you've been reading along on our uh, chronological Bible reading plan this year, we just finished up Leviticus. And in Leviticus chapter 26, it, it says five will chase 100, and 100 will chase 10,000. There's power in the numbers. There's power in this not being alone. And the book of Ecclesiastes declares two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. We need each other, church. Too many try to go it alone. Too many try to be loners, and they tune into their TV church or their internet church or their podcast church or whatever it is, and they're all alone. Too many try, and then when temptation comes, who do they reach out to? They grab a hold of this thing and say, oh, podcast, help me out, I'm, I'm, I'm getting tempted here? When they fall into temptation and the enemy is there, who is there to help lift them up? Two are better than one to help keep accountability. And we're a loner, there's no one to help us be accountable. Part of being in Christ is that we're called brothers and sisters. And brothers and sisters are there for each other. I, I, I have six brothers, two sisters. You know, in a household of seven boys, you can imagine we scraped every now and again. My, my formidable years, the years that I remember, was five boys in one room. Two bunk beds, one uh, youth bed, my mother called it. A couple of dressers that we shared. Three drawers were mine. Three drawers were my brother's. Well, let me tell you, we went at it a few times. All right, you learned how to maybe uh, block a punch and perhaps throw a punch too. But you know what? It doesn't mean we didn't have each other's back because we were brothers. We were sisters. And that's what brothers and sisters do. You know, they're there to, to help one another. I, I, I remember a few times saying to my brother, what are you doing? That's dumb. What are you doing? And then a couple of times they, uh, they took me down with them. Yes. 
my first moving violation was a brother <laughs> taking me along for the ride, so to speak. Uh, but, but we did our best to look out for one another. Don't do that. What are you thinking? You know, that's what helping someone be accountable is about. Being, you know, being there for someone. But there's a flip side to it. You know, the, the scripture we read about the word of God, that it's a two-edged sword. You know, so is this idea of being accountable. It's got two edges to it. Someone might have to talk to us, right? Keep us accountable. We've got to be humble when we're called to account. This accountability thing, it works both ways. And how does it work? Just briefly, I wanted to uh, give you Matthew 18, 15. How does this idea of you know, keeping our, our brother or our sister accountable work? Matthew 18, 15 says, if your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you've won them over. All right, this is the words of Jesus. As some say, this is red letter. This is Jesus talking. If your brother or sister sins, go point out their fault. So, hey, in the most literal way of following what Jesus instructed to us here, where it is, where it is uh, something that you can do, where it is practicable, it's best to just do what he said. If you know someone's in sin, take the very first opportunity that you have to go to that person alone, one-on-one. -on -one. It's not the time to go to coffee with all your friends and say, hey, do you know what so-and-so's doing? It ain't the time to be holding up a couple of mugs and tattling about somebody. See, because gossip doesn't help. It's never going to help. It's time to win them over. That's what Jesus said, win them over. To the extent that you're going to win your brother or your sister, that's going to be dependent on your attitude and your approach. And if the approach is, well, i got to go to my friends and tell them all about it first, it's really not the right approach. Recall what we talked about last week, selfless love. The greatest must become the servant. That's the attitude to have. That's the attitude of approach. Prayerfully, with a lowly spirit, with meekness and humility. You know, you ask, God, God, help me. I need some words here to talk to my brother or my sister. Direct my tongue, Lord, with words that are truthful, but that are spoken in love, wrapped in love. And remember, remember, this is two-edged. It's not always going to be the case that you're going to your brother or sister. It might be the case that a brother or sister is coming to you. And I've had that happen. So what should our attitude be when that occurs? Receive that person. See, our natural re reaction is going to be to deny and defend. To react in a self-preservation mode. That is the natural reaction. But be open and listen. At least listen. Be humble to receive what somebody might have to say. And if what's being said is true, don't try to cover it up. Remember, God sees all. He already knows it. And receive it. And repent. See, because that's what Jesus said. If you go to your brother and they listen, you'll win them over when they repent. And if we would all embrace this, if we would all embrace this approach to accountability, I, mean, I think we would be 
uh, secure and it would render what the rest of Jesus said almost unnecessary. Jesus went on. He went on in uh, Matthew 18 and he said, you know, if your brother or sister doesn't receive you, well then bring two or three witnesses. And if then that brother or sister doesn't receive you with the witnesses, then you gotta tell it to the church. And then if that person doesn't hear it from the church, then you treat them like a tax collector or a pagan. In other words, you have nothing to do with them and you treat them as an outcast and you just move forward because you went through these four steps. But if you believe that God sees it all and you believe that you're gonna give an account, you know, we'll be much better off to receive a person who's coming to us one-on-one, we'll be much better off to just repent and then we can move forward. And then that's it. It's a one-step process. And if we're going to someone, if we have that, that attitude of heart where we're gonna speak the truth in love, we're gonna be much, much better equipped to win someone over. Now, finally, I wanna say this. Keeping another person accountable being account- uh, an accountability partner, we hear about this a lot in Christian circles. Do you have an accountability partner? Well, the, the job of that is not a monitoring job. It's not all about, if somebody says, hey, will you be my accountability partner or help me along? The job is not to just say, hey, you, you did something wrong. Hey, I'm watching you, you did something wrong. Hey, you did something wrong again. Yeah, I saw you cheated on that test. You wanted me to kill you, cheater. I saw you go to that website. I saw it on your phone. I'm watching you. I ha- Who was that from accounting you went out to lunch with? Now, we might help somebody by calling them out. That's true. And that's you know what Jesus said. You go to them. But if we're to keep people accountable... Let's not just be the policeman that's telling them you're wrong. You're wrong, you're wrong. That's just, that's going to tear someone down. I think the major part, the overwhelming part of being the so-called accountability partner is to raise people up, is to be an encourager. I love what it says in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. See, we can help each other, I think, much more significantly in our walk in Christ and keeping people accountable and spur them along by being encouraging, by being uplifting. Hey, great job. See what you're, I, 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 I saw what you were doing with that other person. You were helping them out. That's fantastic. Let's pray together. See, you can reassure someone about the promises of God. You can help them along. You can say, hey, I'll pray for you. But instead of just saying you'll pray for them, maybe just grab them by the hand right then and there. Let's pray. That's, a, that, that's immensely uplifting to someone. If they share that they have a, a struggle or they're facing a trial, that's the time. I'll pray for you. See you later. No. Take a minute right then and there. Be encouraging. Be uplifting. The point of encouragement, and it's not just to make someone feel good. No. It's to lift them, to strengthen them, to embolden them, to stay firm in their faith and stay, stay on in their walk with Jesus Christ. Why? So they'll be accountable. 
I believe we'll be a much stronger church with less pointing out of sins of others, less gossip of others, if we're urging others and boosting them and giving them positive reassurance in their faith. From time to time, we may have to have that discussion that's one-on-one and then move forward where there's true repentance. God sees it all. He's, he, his eyes are open to us all. So let's consider. Let's consider as many ways as possible that we can spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let's consider how many ways we can encourage others in their walk, in their faith in Jesus Christ. Not just point out you're wrong, you did bad. No, raise them up and we'll be so much stronger and better for it. The, the world, as I said last week, they'll see it and they'll be attracted to it. And it might be, it might be that someone might walk up to you and say, why are you smiling? What's that big smile on your face all about? And that door opens for you to say, Jesus, let me tell you about him. And then somebody else comes into the kingdom who we can help keep accountable. Let's stand this morning as we close. And I want to just pray that. I want to pray that we would be encouragers, that we would be people who would be uplifting. And, you know, if you, you want that a little bit more, if you desire that more in your life, these altars are open. You feel free to come forward. If you want prayer, if you want to say, hey, Lord, I need help to be that encourager. Lord, I need help for you to put the words into my heart and into my mouth because there's that guy at work that's been bugging me or there's, uh, you know, there's this person at the church who keeps taking my seat and I need to talk to them or whatever the case may be. And, you know, you need that encouragement or you need maybe a, just a little bit of help to say, Lord, I, I need to receive people better or I need to be a, a person who can speak the truth in love better. You can come for prayer and that's okay. And, of course, at the end of service, the altars are always open. If you need prayer from the elders, we have elders here to anoint you with oil and pray the prayer of faith. Let's pray. Father God. It's in the powerful, the precious, the great name of Jesus Christ, our supreme Lord and Savior, our supreme King, that we come to you, Father, this morning. And we ask for your grace, Lord, and your help to assist us to be encouragers, to be lovers, to lift up others, Lord, and not tear them down. People in the folds, people in the church, Lord, if there's any issues, trials that we're dealing with with someone, give us, Lord, give us the humility Give us the meekness. Lord, press on our hearts, pierce our hearts with the living word of God that we would be humble, that we would be meek to go to the other person and that we would speak the truth in love. And God, if someone comes to us, wash us away, God. Please, please, please help our attitudes, help our minds to not be defensive, to not be argumentative, but to receive someone who comes from that position of love. Lord, may we be people who exemplify Jesus and his grace. And thank you for that grace, God. Thank you for the grace of Jesus. Thank you that he won us and he, he, he forgave our sins 
And he took them away when he gave that sacrifice on the cross. Thank you, Father. Lord, may we leave, enabled by the power of your Holy Spirit to speak your word boldly. And Lord, keep us as people who are actively engaged in your word. And may it penetrate our lives. Thank you for our time this morning. God, return us, return us, God. Return us to bless your name again. And every family here represented be blessed by you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.